Jesus is holding out his hand, loving you more than, better than any human ever could. And we're looking for our value in Facebook likes? As we continue this look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're going to learn some really important truth about how the reasons behind the way we act affects others and ourselves. Here's Pastor David. What are we about in life? What's primarily driving us? Is it to bring ourselves glory? Are we looking to be famous? Are we looking to be looked at? Are we looking to be approved of and appreciated? Or are we looking to make Jesus famous? Are we looking to make much of his name? Because Paul is saying that's what it's about. We didn't, we didn't come around you seeking your glory. I don't want you lifting us up. You remember he had gone into a town and they had tried to act like he was a god. Right? There were Zeus and Hermes in the crowd's mind. And he's like, whoa! Not me, Jesus. Not me, Jesus. That's what our life should look like. When things happen, when great things happen in our life, you graduate from school, you have a baby, you get, you know, there's a miracle and you're healed from a sickness, whatever it is, right? You, you achieve something. It should always be not me, Jesus. Not me, Jesus. Not like you didn't do anything. Not like God didn't work through you. But hey, if there's glory in this, I want glory to go to Jesus. I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with being complimented. Just so you know, as we go through all this, something wrong with like liking to be complimented. See, because if you like to be complimented and you're healthy about it, then what you're saying is, I am glad that I've pleased this person. I love this person, and it makes me happy that I've pleased them. That's okay. So don't, don't think that any compliments flattery or anytime you think about those kinds of things, it's a problem. It's not, okay? Being happy that you have pleased somebody that you ought to want to please, which is anyone, your neighbor, you should care about doing that. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when you say, so I must be pretty amazing <laughs> that I please them. That's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if you start thinking about, oh, what a good chap I am, right? Because he's English, so he says chap. But if you start doing that, then you've got a problem. But if you're just saying, I'm so glad. My wife says, oh, thank you so much for this. You were so great at doing this. And I'm saying, I'm so happy that I've pleased my wife. And it's about her, and I'm focused on her. If I'm focused on others. I'm focused on the Lord. It's okay. If I say, yeah, you know what? That was pretty amazing, it's not bad. It's never happened yet, so I haven't had to struggle with that one. Um, these, uh, these guys that would come into town, they were seeking to be famous. They were seeking power. They were seeking authority. They were seeking glory. The next one that we'll talk about is power and authority. He's saying we weren't seeking power. We're not seeking power. He says, Paul wrote, that they could have made demands as apostles of Christ. What he means here is that as apostles, they were the leaders of the church. God had approved them, remember? He had sent them. He had set them aside. Had, they were the ones to plant these churches. They were in charge. They were the authority. They were authorities, and they could have used that authority. And that certainly would have been what these Greco-Roman people in Thessalonica would have been used to from the leaders that were around them. Jesus says in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Listen, the Gentiles exercised authority over the people. They lorded it over them. They used their authority as an opportunity for pride. 
right? They like to treat people like things, like they could just move them around like chess pieces. They loved that. They loved to feel powerful. Now, I don't know how many of you like that, but when I'm in a situation where I've got a boss or I've got a person or whatever, and I can see that they, and they have authority, and I can see they exercise that authority for the sake of exercising that authority and making themselves feel powerful. You see people in different positions of power who do this. I don't think anybody likes that, right? And nor did these Gentile believers in Thessalonica, right? They didn't like it either. And Paul's saying, that wasn't us. That wasn't us. We didn't come around you acting like that. We could have. We were in authority over you. We could have told you what to do, but that's not what we did. Instead, we did what Christ was talking about. We act like servants. We act like servants, not like your masters. We had authority, but we came to serve, which leads to the very last, last section where Paul writes, but we were gentle among you. Now, this is an interesting place in Scripture. There are some of these out there. We've talked about this before. We've talked about the reliability of Scripture and so on. Um, this is, there's a couple different ideas about the word that was used here. Neither one of them has a major impact on the theology, but it's interesting. One word is gentle, and that's apios. Okay, that's, that's the Greek word, apios. And then there's a different word, infant, which is napios. You just add an N to it. Okay? And so the earliest manuscripts seem to have the N. And then the question is, is it gentle or does it mean infant? Gentle or infant? Now, here's the deal. I personally actually go with the translation infant, even though the Bibles in your chairs will say gentle, and many of your Bibles uh, will say gentle. Some of them you'll see early manuscripts say infant or child. Okay, and I think the New Living Translation uses child also. Um, and, and, and I go with that because I think that the first part of verse 7 is actually finishing out this section before he starts talking about the next analogy that we'll get into next time. He's finishing out this section. He's saying, we were like infants among you. We were innocent. We weren't there for power or glory or greed or any of these things. We were innocent like babies. We were like innocent babies among you. At the end of the day, you have nothing you can accuse us of because our hearts were pure. Our hearts were pure. We were innocent like infants among you. We treated you well. We were there with godly motivations, godly motivations and godly methods. That's the deal. Now, here are a few thoughts for us to take from the scripture. One, jumping kind of back to the beginning, we need to work hard to be approved by God. We need to work hard to be approved by God. That means we need to mature and be patient in doing the things that God has called us to do and in growing into positions and, and roles of greater ministry opportunity. We need to be ready, but we need to be patient. We need to make sure that we're mature. We do expect, though, expect, and this, and this is across ages. I know some people are very young and they think, well, God can't really use me now. I'm so young. You know, what can I do? People don't respect young people at all. Well, that's not true in the church. And then there are some people who have gotten not young. Um, and they think, I'm older now. There's only so much time left. What can I really do? I'm just kind of writing it out, right? But that's not the way the church looks at you either. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. You need to expect that God is going to use you to do big things for his kingdom. As long as you're breathing still, expect that God is going to use you to do big things for the kingdom and listen for God's calling on your life and be ready to go wherever he calls, whatever that is. Paul's approval from God came with a calling. Approval came with a calling to preach the gospel, the good news, to plant churches all over the world. Yours may be the same. It may be different. 
but there is an approval and a calling in your life. And you'll progressively, progressively be approved for, for bigger and more and more and more things in terms of your ministry. And your calling will be sure, and you need to be ready to go, just like Paul and Silas and Timothy were. Number two, we have to stop being people pleasers and flatters. We have to stop that nonsense. We have to. We can't live like that. It will, we'll, never, we'll never make it. I'm going to read a few verses here. John 12, 42 through 43. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Okay, this is about Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. These people wouldn't confess Jesus because they would be ostracized. And they were more interested in having people think they were cool than in admitting that Jesus was God, even though they knew it was true. Now, hey, look, that's been me before. That's been some of us. We're in a situation. We're not looking to make it really obvious that we're a serious Christ follower because that would be awkward. Right? And it would. And it will. Don't get me wrong. It might. But if you care more about the praise of men, praise of people, than the, than the praise of God, you've got a problem. Because you're going to be with him eternally. You and God, that's eternity. You might want to think about that when you decide whose praise is more important. Galatians 1.10, for do I not persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, would I, would, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Listen, who are you a slave to? Who are you a bondservant to? If you need the approval of other people to feel valuable, you are a slave to your own need for affection and to other people who can give it to you or not give it to you. you. You become a slave to them. And if you're a slave to them, I'm sorry, but you can't also be a slave to Christ. If you're getting your approval and your value from Jesus, you can be a slave to him, which is where you ought to be since he's the only one who can truly give that to you. But if you're looking for it from other people, you have become a bondservant and a slave to that. And some of you know what this cycle feels like. It's like an addiction. It's like an addiction. You do feel like a slave. Ephesians 6, 5 through 7. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers. Not, I get to the office just a minute before everybody else so that they think I've been there for hours before everybody else and then I wait until everybody else has left but I leave one minute after everybody else has left so they think I stay hours afterward. It's eye service. Wow, it looks like old David's working really hard. He's working harder than anybody else. It's like, no, I'm just faking it. It's eye service. Don't do, don't do the stuff for eye service as men pleasers, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord, not to men. Do your service as to the Lord, not to men. Who do you owe something to? The Lord, and through him to others. But you owe it to him. Luke 16, 15, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. You look good before people. You please the people. They lift you up. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Now listen, this is, this is an important thing that Jesus is saying. If you are seeking to please people, then you're going to have to do the things that they highly esteem. Right? That's a given. If you want to make them happy, if you want to please them, you're going to have to do the things that they highly esteem. And what do you say? What is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. 
The things that people, the things that the world holds really high are things that God says are garbage, trash. People are living a, a, a gong show. It's, a, it's, a, it's craziness out there. And if you want to go out there and make them your idol and, 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 get the, and get the pleasure that you need and the affection that you need to feel valuable from them, you're going to be doing things. You're going to have to be doing things that are an abomination to God. Again, becoming a bondservant, what? Of them, of the world, of your own passions and desires, and not of Christ. Acts 5.29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said... We ought to obey God rather than men. You remember this? They told him, stop preaching Jesus. They said, you, you tell us, should we obey God or man? We ought to obey God rather than man. Our job is to obey God, to please God. And what does it look like to please God and not men? Listen, it looks like caring more about and trusting more in what God has said about you and done for you than about what others have said or done. It's not that complicated. Looking to others for approval or value instead of to God for both is a trust issue. It's a pride issue. It's an idolatry issue. We've already seen that people were not made to give you your value. When you lean on them for your value. I mean, a woman can make a man feel great by saying nice, people-pleasing, flattering things to him. But if that's all that's feeding him and his value, he will die emotionally and spiritually eventually. She can't keep it up. She cannot provide enough to fill the heart of that man. Vice versa, man trying to be everything for his wife. Eventually, you'll be despised because you could never produce it enough. And you'll despise them because they're looking to you and trying to make God out of you. Only God can do that. If you look for food for your soul, where it can never be found, and ignore the love that is knocking on your door, asking to come dine with you, Jesus, right? Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He's right there. Arms open, Right? Jesus is holding out his hand, loving you more than, better than any human ever could. And we're looking for our value in Facebook likes? Did I get enough little heart things on Instagram? Did enough people, whatever, tell me I look great today? Do I have enough friends? Do I have the right friends? You've got Jesus literally saying, I made you. I know everything about you. I value you infinitely. God said, I value you so much. I'm going to take my son. I'm going to let him die. Shed his blood for you. And you're wondering if you have value? And you need to please people in order to feel it? Wow. Look at the deception that we've bought into. Time to open our eyes. Even the non-believers see the problem with people-pleasing and flattery, and seeking approval from others. Even the non-believers, they see it. Unfortunately, they don't understand the true source of our value in God. And so they come up with ways to try to fix it anyway, like positive self-talk, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? But the way they do it probably is. Basically, they say, look, tell yourself that you're great and you can do it. That's, that's essentially it, right? There's nothing wrong with speaking the truth to yourself and saying that you're valuable, but you have to know and believe in the source 
and the anchor of where your value comes from or the truth that you're speaking to yourself about being so great is empty. I can self-talk myself. I can be like, David, you have a million dollars. You're worth a million dollars, David. You have a million dollars. When I get my checkbook out and I write it out for a million dollars and I take it to the bank, they're going to laugh at me. When it comes time to cash the check, the source of my million dollars is either there or it's not. It's either there or it's not. You may know that it's bad to seek approval from others, but if you don't know where your approval truly comes from, you may may think it's bad to seek your value or your self-worth in others, but if you don't know where your value and your self-worth really come from, then all you can do is chat. And when it comes time to cash a check, you don't know where to cash it. Listen, positive self-talk without an anchor An anchor in Jesus Christ will fail. If you don't have an anchor in Jesus Christ, your positive self-talk will fail when you realize there is nothing behind it to cash the check. It's not that we should be doing some sort of nonsensical self-talk about how special we are just so we can trick ourselves into feeling better. That will never work. That will never work for the unbeliever. Because for the unbeliever, there's nothing behind it. There's nowhere where your value is really coming from, so you're just trying to invent it. And we can't invent things by speaking them. It's not how it works. I'm not worth so much because a self-help guru told me to say it. That's fake. That's silly self-talk. But listen, here's real self-talk. I am worth so much because of the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ for me. That's real self-talk. I am worth so much because Jesus Christ thought that it was worth doing to die and suffer and die for me. How much more could you be worth? What more could you ask for? That's where I can cash the check. The one who created me, the one who told me that I had value, and the one who proved it by dying for me. That's where my value is. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven of your sin. You can be in a transforming relationship with God and you can have a source and an anchor for your value. When you self-talk, you can know what you're talking about and mean it, not just speak mantras to try to trick your brain into feeling better. You can do the real deal. Then you won't have to be a flattering people pleaser because you'll be confident in Jesus Christ. The source and anchor of your real value, the one who said it and proved it. We're so concerned about what other people think about us. I mean, it's it's a problem. We're so concerned about, but here's the thing that I found. The truth is, you know, you get embarrassed or whatever, something happens. The truth is, people forget about it in a couple seconds. You know why? Because they're all worried about themselves too. They're all looking for approval too. They're all struggling with their own selfish desires to feel value from people as well. They might put you down to make themselves feel more up, or they might even put you up because they self-punish themselves and put themselves down because of their own self-image. Everyone is suffering with this. So many people are suffering with this. But you'll never find peace and joy by looking for it from other people. Never. You can't. It's only in Christ that we find our value. And then only through Christ that we can learn how to love others. Because confident, passionate, humble, true love for others is actually a miracle from God. You know that? It's a miracle. We were not made to love out of our own strength. We were made to love out of the miraculous power of the love of God. 
It's his love that makes you strong. It's his love that gives you the ability to love. The church should be representing the love of Christ that is from God. That is why we're called to love each other. We've read this passage before. Let's read it again. John 17, 20 through 23. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you. That's me. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Look, love for one another causes people to believe in Jesus and the Father. God has believed in because of love, because the only love, the only love with a true source and anchor that can pay off those checks for value is the love of God. And when we experience it and we let it flow through us, that is a miracle. That is a miracle. People look at the church, if the church is operating as it should, and they go, I'm, I don't feel good about myself. I'm constantly needing other people to build me up. But here I see this group of people who love each other, who are confident in Jesus, who know where their value comes from, and who are able to give true godly love to one another. And that, the only way that happens is miraculously, because it's impossible for a human to do by themselves. The only way you can truly love your spouse, your children, whatever it is, is if that love is flowing from God through you. You don't have it. Or else you're just, uh, right? You can't stand up under the pressure, but you need God. We are the church. We are to love. We're to love God. We're to love each other. We're to love hard. We're to serve hard. We're to live well. We're to trust God for our value and for our strength. So how about you? Are you trusting God for your value? Or do you find yourself caught in the never-ending games of deception, trying to find love and acceptance? The good news is that, as Pastor David said, you can find everything in a relationship with Jesus. And that can start right now. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, simply tell Him that you want His love, that you believe He's the Son of God, and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, and He will. And if we can help, or you still have questions about any of this, call us at 360-885-9000, or send us an email. Use info at axchurchnw.org. We'd love to help you find life. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.